0: The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com/backslash Harmony Bible Church. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome once again to Harmony Bible Church. My name is Jason Polly, and it's my pleasure to welcome you here this morning. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father God, I just thank you for today. For this opportunity that we have to be here in your house to worship you, Father God, I pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth. God, I pray that you would help us as we look at your word, that you would help us to hear from you and apply it to our lives. God, I pray that we would be changed as we interact with you and your word and with each other. God, I just pray and ask that you'd be with the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world today. I pray especially for Spruce Head Community Church as they meet just down the road. God, that you would work mightily in their midst. That you would fill their pews with people who are willing and eager to hear the gospel message. God, that you would use them and us to reach this community with your gospel and the word of your grace. God, I just pray and ask again for your hand upon us today. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So today we're going to continue our sermon series titled, Rooted in Truth, based on the book of 2 Peter. And before we jump into our text this morning, let's do a bit of review of where we've been the first three weeks as we covered chapter 1 of 2 Peter. The first week, Peter, he reminded us of the provision, the power, and the promises of the Gospel. The provision that God has given us the gift of salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. The power that Christ's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. And the promises that God has granted to us, precious and magnificent promises. Not only in this life, but also an ultimate and final rescue from sin as we spend eternity with Him in heaven. And then the next week we looked at verses 5-11, through where Peter showed us the effect that the Gospel has on the life of the believer. He reminded us that growing in godliness is the necessary evidence of genuine faith. Therefore, assurance that one's faith is genuine comes to those who grow in godliness. In other words, he said growing in godliness indicates and assures you that you are trusting in the gospel. And then last week we focused on the genuineness of the gospel that is being proclaimed. He reminded us that the true gospel is rooted in history, that not only was Peter an eyewitness of Christ's earthly ministry, but that he also witnessed the transfiguration, a preview of the glory of Christ in his second coming. And then he reminded us that though we were not with him on that mountain, that we have the more sure word of Scripture. Therefore, we would do well to not assign whatever meaning we desire to it, but instead to study it and understand its intended meaning, to properly interpret it, and then apply it to our lives, becoming doers of the Word. Now, as we move into chapter 2, Peter's focus on being firmly rooted in the truth doesn't really change. However, instead of focusing on the provision, the power, and the promises of the Gospel for those who have genuine faith, Peter focuses on the destruction awaiting those who do not. In other words, chapter 1 is largely positive reinforcement. I remember many years ago uh, we we got a a dog and we took the dog to obedience class and the trainer said, I don't believe in negative reinforcement. I only believe in positive reinforcement. So you treat the dog when he does something right, but you never punish the dog for doing wrong. We got about three weeks into the class and the trainer took us off to the side and he said, this dog's different. (laughs) He said... uh, While I said I don't really believe in negative reinforcement, I think you're going to have to do something different with this dog, right? And that's the way we are. Sometimes we need that negative reinforcement as well as that positive reinforcement. So Peter focuses on, uh, on, instead of the, the positive, instead the warnings that come from Scripture. He focuses on instructing us to avoid error. So with that background in mind, let's look at our text this morning. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word 2 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 Peter says but false prophets also arose among the people just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies even denying the master who bought them bringing swift destruction upon themselves Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So today we're going to look at three characteristics of false teachers that we see in these verses. Three characteristics of false teachers. Number one, false teachers hide in plain sight. False teachers hide in plain sight. Peter says, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who secretly introduce destructive heresies. And the but here at the beginning of this verse should serve as a reminder to connect what Peter has been saying with what he's about to say. Remember, Peter said that man, last week, man moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God, so the true meaning of Scripture comes from him. It's not a matter of our own interpretation and what we want it to mean. In other words, instead of assigning whatever meaning we want to Scripture... We need to understand what God meant when he said it. What is the author's intended meaning? And now he says, "But but false prophets, those who didn't communicate truth from God, also arose among or arose among God's chosen people." He's referring to the Jews here. And anyone familiar with the Old Testament or Israel's history would have understood that Peter wasn't referring to a few individuals. Instead, he's referring to many false prophets who ended up having a major influence on the nation and the people as a whole. Peter's not saying there were a couple of false prophets somewhere in history. Instead, he's pointing to the fact that there were false prophets throughout the Old Testament, throughout Israel's history. Jeremiah uh, Jeremiah 5, verses 30 and 31 says, an appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets, they prophesy falsely. And the priests rule on their own authority. And My people love it so. The people came to love the false teaching. And when you turn a few chapters ahead to Jeremiah 23, verses 13-16, through it says this, "...Moreover, among the prophets of Samaria I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led My people astray." Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing, the committing of adultery and walking in falsehood. And they strengthen the hands of evildoers, so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them to me have become like Sodom, and their inheritance like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning his people, or concerning the prophets, excuse me Behold, I am going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. For from the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into the land. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They speak this vision that they've dreamt up in their minds. They're not communicating truth from God. So we know that false prophets posed a major problem to the nation of Israel. And as we look back to this week's text, in 2 Peter, Peter goes on to say in verse 1, he says, just as there will also be false teachers among you. In other words, Peter's saying, just as there were false teachers in the Old Testament and and in Israel's history, so the church will also have false teachers. It's interesting to note too that Peter uses the future tense when he says, there will be false teachers among you. He's speaking in future tense. And it's evident from the rest of chapter 2, if you were to read on, uh, Peter speaks about false teachers in the present tense. So clearly there were false teachers among them then, so he's not warning about the possibility of false teachers coming in the future, for false teachers are already there. Instead, his point is that there will always be, in the future, now and in the future, false teachers among you. You see, there have certainly been times in history when we've seen both the dramatic rise and decline of false teachers in the church. But Peter is concerned with warning us. And he's warning us because he knows that this side of heaven, there will never be a time in the church when we can say we are completely free of false teachers. They will exist among us. And next, Peter teaches that these false teachers will secretly introduce destructive heresies. So while Peter says these false teachers, they're going to be among you, they're going to be in plain sight, he also says they're going to hide in plain sight. That they're going to be secretly introducing destructive heresies. They're not going to openly introduce the fact that they are false heresies. Teachers. It's highly unlikely somebody will walk in here next week and say, Hello, I wanted to introduce myself. My name is John. I'm a false teacher. Instead, they secretly introduce their false teachings. So they may not be quickly recognized. Jude 1, four actually says that such individuals have crept in unnoticed. And Peter's point is that these false teachers may, be, they may appear to be followers of Jesus Christ. So often the church welcomes them in. They invite them in. And therefore, their false teaching can spread through the congregation like cancer spreads through the human body. And often going undetected until there are serious and deadly symptoms. So Peter goes so far as to call their teaching destructive heresies. The same Greek word destructive is used in Matthew 7, uh, starting at verse 13, when Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. Hell is what he's talking about. And there are many who enter it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. See, Peter uses the same word destructive here because it carries with it the idea of eternal condemnation. While the term heresies simply refers to something that is untrue or an opinion that is not true. Thus, when Peter's talking about destructive heresies, he's referring to false teaching. False teaching that leads people straight to hell. False teaching that is destructive. And these false teachers are among us. See, you don't even have to leave your home. All you need to do is turn on your TV to the, some of the so-called Christian television networks. And you'll find all kinds of false teaching. You turn on your TV and you will see it. And I'm not saying that every, every preacher on TV is a false prophet or a false teacher. But instead, you will find it there. Or open up your mailbox. And you'll find in the Christian mail order catalogs, you'll find books and videos that promote a radically different gospel Radically different than the Orthodox Christian faith. Like this book that was wildly popular a little while ago called Love Wins that undermines the doctrine of hell. Or this 90 minutes in heaven business. Or 23 minutes in hell baloney. Or or whatever. Or drive down the road. You don't even have to go that far. Drive down the road and you'll see signs for Christian churches that do not believe in the authority or the accuracy of God's Word. Now don't hear me say that we at Harmony are theologically pure, right? And that all other Christian organizations that are not exactly like us or exactly like me are wrong. Because there are various issues that Bible-believing organizations may find they simply disagree on. Right? Just this past week at prayer meeting, we talked about whether or not churches should have deaconesses. And many solid churches seeking to be true to the scriptures have come down on differing sides of that issue. Certainly, there is a right interpretation. God intends for us to, to understand what scripture means. It can't just mean whatever we want it to mean. However, while scripture is infallible, we are not. So we have trouble interpreting some things and understanding some things and then applying them. So we as believers. We don't have everything figured out. I certainly don't. And that is why we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But Peter's not talking about this kind of thing. Peter's not talking about whether deaconesses should exist in the church. Peter's not talking about whether we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture of the church or not. Peter's talking about destructive heresies. He's talking about denying the deity of Christ. He's talking about rejecting hell. He's talking about the prosperity gospel that says follow Jesus and He'll fill your pocketbook. He's talking about destructive heresies. False teaching that leads to destruction, that leads people to hell. And Peter says, these false teachers are among you. That's why I spent so much time with the pulpit committee Not just letting them ask me questions, but asking them questions. A lot of questions. It's why I sought clarity over the church's statement of faith. It's why I cringe when an invitation comes in the mail to take part in some conference or an event that is hosted by a ministry that I'm not familiar with. Or even worse, sometimes they're by ministries that I am familiar with and I know some things about their doctrine that is much different than ours. I wrote this This week, not knowing that in the mail, in today's mail, there would come a book that's written by a Christian, right? written by a Christian pastor. I don't know anything about this guy, never heard of the publisher, don't know anything about the book, but I'll take the book home and I'll read the book, but this just shows up in the mail, free of charge, a book, and it could be an amazing, wonderful book rooted in the truth of Scripture, but it could also be a false teacher, and it's among us. It showed up in the mail. Not just in person. It's also why I want to know what Sunday school books and lessons are being used. It's why I'm concerned about these things. And it's not because I want to micromanage. Frankly, I have plenty to do already. Right? Uh, It's because I love you. It's because I love you and God has called me to shepherd this church as a a shepherd protects his sheep and cares for his sheep. And ultimately, I will give an account to God, is what Hebrews says, for the way you live and the doctrine that you believe. And false teachers hide in plain sight. In a uh, church where I served before, we would regularly attend a men's conference. And I don't know how this plays out. But I know as a pastor, it's scary. We would attend this men's conference, and there were some speakers that were unbelievably solid and biblical, and then there were some speakers that... It would be hard to say they were false teachers, but it would, hard, it would be hard for me to say that they're not. That, that their doctrine was so shaky, and so they, they derived things from Scripture that I didn't see there, And that men, whether or not these men believed certain things, the teachers believed certain things, men from this church would go to this conference and they'd walk away believing error. Whether they were taught error or not, I can't say for sure, but they would either way walk away believing error. And on one hand, the church has to stand and say, we will participate in these things, and we're going to train our men and our women to chew the meat and spit out the bone at these kinds of conferences. And then on the other hand, we say, we must protect our sheep. We must protect our sheep because we don't want them exposed to false teachers. Because false teachers, they hide in plain sight. They come to our churches. They write Christian books. They're on Christian television and on Christian radio. So let's move on to the second point in our sermon outline. Seeing that false teachers hide in plain sight. The second point is false teachers deny Christ's authority. Peter continues on. Says false teachers deny Christian authority. Peter continues on with the rest of verse 1 and says, Even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. This phrase, master who bought them, refers to a slave owner who purchases individuals and thus has authority over their lives. It's a slave owner who purchases people and has authority over them. This kind of imagery is not popular in the church today, especially in America, because we're free, right? We're free, free to pursue our hopes and our dreams and our desires. But a slave doesn't serve himself. He serves his master. He works and eats and drinks and sleeps according to the master's wishes. And what's interesting is that the world around us claims to have freedom. When in fact they're actually slaves to sin. In First John eight thirty four, Jesus says, "Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin." The world around us says, "I'm free to do as I choose," when in fact they were in, they are enslaved to their sin. Second Peter, just a few verses ahead of where we are, in, in verse nineteen, he says. Uh, promising them freedom while they, he's talking about the world around us, these false teachers, they promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by this he is enslaved. He's saying they're enslaved to their sin. If you look at Romans 6, verses 16 through 19, Romans 6, 16 through 19, it says this Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as Slaves for obedience, you are slaves to the one whom you obey. Either sin resulting in death, or obedience resulting in righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members, your bodies as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification, resulting in growth. He says, you once were a slave to sin, and you submitted to sin. You put yourself under its authority. And now, you have been freed so that you can put yourself under Christ's authority. You now serve Christ as your master and become a slave to Christ, to His righteousness, and His righteousness living in and through you, resulting in your growth. Resulting in you becoming more like Jesus Christ. See, Christians belong to Christ. They've been bought with a price. That's what Scripture teaches. That we have been bought with a price That though we had one master, that master was sin, that a new master came and bought us. Yet, false teachers deny Christ's authority over their lives. So one of the things we'll see as we continue to move through 2 Peter chapter 2 is we'll see really what sets apart false teachers. It's not just that it's Christians who sometimes have something wrong. It's false teachers are motivated by something entirely wrong different because there will be times when I am a teacher and there will be times when I am false where I am wrong but that doesn't make one a false teacher false teachers are ones who continue in false teaching and teach destructive heresies things that lead people away from God false teachers deny Christ's authority over their lives and this should give us a clearer understanding of why Peter spent so much time talking about growing, and growing to be like Christ in chapter 1. He spent so much time in chapter 1 talking about growing to be like Christ. Remember, he said, in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. He, he said, he went on with these qualities and he said, if these qualities are yours and they're increasing you will not be useless nor unfruitful. In other words, you need to be growing to be more like Jesus Christ. Growing in godliness, submitting to Christ, and becoming more like Him is the necessary evidence of genuine faith. That's what Peter said. And he laid that foundation because he knows that some people will creep into the church and they'll say, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior, and yet their actions... Their lives don't line up with their words. They don't submit to Christ. And as we move through this chapter, we'll see uh, the lust of the eyes, the lust of of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life really playing out in these false teachers' ministry. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. Jesus warned us against these individuals who would not submit to Christ's authority in Matthew 7. Let's pick up uh, where we left off. We looked at Matthew 7 earlier, but now we'll pick up at verse 15. Verse 15 through 23, Jesus said, said this, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. And many will say to me on that day, "Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did, and did we not cast out demons? And in your name perform many miracles? Weren't we in the church serving and performing these miracles and doing these teachings, performing these teachings and, and, and leading your people? And I will declare to them, "I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness." He says, "I never knew you. Depart from me." You who practice lawlessness. See, Peter, like Christ, focuses not so much on the specific falsehoods that these teachers will bring into the church. Jesus doesn't say, depart from Me because you taught this and that thing, this doctrinal error. Instead, He says, you who practice lawlessness. See, the behavior that clearly indicates that they do not follow Jesus Christ as their Lord is what's mentioned here, and peter Peter points to this very same thing. and why is this? it's because the theology of false teachers throws up, flows out of their behavior. See the, the theology of false teachers flows out of their behavior. while for Christians, his, his behavior throws, throws excuse me, his behavior flows out of his theology. You see. Morality and doctrine are inseparable. And Peter wants us to know that false teachers shape their doctrine to fit their moral compass. False teachers shape their doctrine to fit their moral compass. Whereas true Christians, they shape their lives to fit their theology. We say, what do we believe about God and what is true? And then how must I live in light of that truth? Instead, false teachers say, How do I want to live, and how must I twist that teaching and that doctrine to do what I want to do? So, if a false teacher is caught up in greed and money, what does he do? He preaches the prosperity gospel on TV and says, Send in your dollar, send in your hundred dollars, send in your seed money, write out a check to my ministry because he wants to, he lives in such a way that he's shaping his theology to fit his lifestyle. But the Christian, the true Christian, says, the Scriptures call me to sacrifice. The Scriptures call me to live and give myself up for Christ and His church. Therefore, that's how I'm going to live. The Scriptures call me to give sacrificially. So how do I do that? We'll see in the coming weeks how false teachers shape their doctrine to fit their moral compass. But for now, what I really want you to see is that false teachers deny Christ's authority over their lives. They try to fit Christ into their lives instead of fitting their lives into Christ and His authority. They they may even say, I belong to Christ. But then they deny His Lordship with their behavior. So now as we move on to the third and final point in our sermon outline, first we saw that false teachers hide in plain sight, that they are among us but they're secretly introducing destructive heresies. That false teachers deny Christ's authority. That they they say they know Christ, but then they don't submit to His plan, to His will, to His teaching in their lives. Thirdly, false teachers exploit the church. False teachers exploit the church. Peter continues on in verses 2 and 3 and says many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. I want to bring to your attention, uh, special attention, three words in these verses. Number one, greed. This word simply is covetousness. It means eager for personal gain. We see this in false teachers. It may not even be monetary greed, but it's eager for prestige and power. It may be eager to gain material wealth. It may be eager to gain a position of influence. But it's talking about personal gain. Number two, the term sensuality. This term sensuality refers to behavior completely lacking in moral restraint. Usually this term is used with the implication of sexual licentiousness. We'll see this uh, as we get further into chapter 2 that often false teachers are marked by just a behavior that's completely lacking in moral restraint. Oftentimes, through sexual licentiousness. And then number three, exploit. And this word means to take advantage of, or to realize, gain from. And it carries with it the idea of, being, of using something as a resource for personal advancement, like a merchant selling goods. So when Peter says, these people exploit the church, he's talking about using the church for their own personal advancement. So as this book comes in the mail, I don't know this author's intent. But I do, know what, I do know that false teachers, they do things out of greed. And they have a lack of moral restraint. And that oftentimes they'll exploit, they'll take advantage of the church. And what better way to exploit the church than a free book coming in the mail? And this individual, because what happens is we develop trust. We say, oh, this must be great. It's free. And this individual, I don't know, may have the purest heart and be living sacrificially. And praise God for that if that is the case. That they're living in such a way that they say, God has given me this teaching and I want to share it freely with the church to build up Christ's church. If that's the case, praise God. But we need to be careful. That's what we need to do is be careful. The use of these terms greed, sensuality and exploit seems strikingly similar to those of the apostle John in 1 John 2:16 when he said for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh sensuality right the lust of the eyes greed and the boastful pride of life exploitation he said it's not from the father but it is from the world and Peter says many will follow many will follow. That's heartbreaking. And it's frightening to me as a pastor. It's frightening to me because Peter says many, many will follow these false teachers. That's why Paul said to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, he said, Be on guard for yourselves and for the flock of God, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot take this Scripture lightly. Scripture is full of warnings against People who will twist and pervert the gospel to draw people away. And now as we look back to our text, 2 Peter 2, verse 3, we see that Peter finishes this section with these words. He says, Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. These are sobering words, not only to the false teachers, but also to all of us. Peter is warning us not to follow in their sensuality their lack of moral restraint. For if you persist in this, as they do, you are not submitting to Christ's authority. And there are times when we go down a path where we do follow our own lusts, where we do have lack of moral restraint, where we do not practice self-control, but if you persist in this, as they do, you are not submitting to Christ's authority over your lives, and thus, you don't know Him as your Master. You've denied your Master and you too will face God's judgment for your sin. These are hard, hard words and should cause us to evaluate our lives and say, am I submitting to Christ's authority? Or am I denying the one that I claim has bought me? The message is clear. Don't follow. Don't follow these church teachers, these false teachers. Instead, repent. Right? What does repent mean? To turn around, to turn away from. Don't follow them. Follow Jesus. But Peter's also reminding us that God isn't blind to what's happening to His church. That people are trying to exploit her. They're trying to take advantage of her. And if you were to take advantage of my wife, I pray to God that I would stand up and and make you answer to me. And that's exactly what Christ will do. You see, the, Christ, the church is Christ's bride. And He will not sit back and let those who take advantage of her go without answering to Him for it. Thus He reminds us that though it looks like He's not involved right now, that a day of judgment is coming. A day of judgment is coming. So we don't take our own revenge. For Romans 12.19 tells us not to. It says, Never take up your own revenge, beloved. But leave room for the wrath of God because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That God will indeed make that which is wrong right. That He hasn't forgotten His bride. He hasn't forgotten us. And that these false teachers will indeed one day give an account for their leading people astray. I know this isn't an easy sermon and I joked with Bill earlier and said, what an encouraging message, especially for visitors to come and listen to. A message of false teachers. And it seems that as we've worked through Peter, we worked through 1 Peter and Peter's Mr. Encouragement. He's pointing us back to the Gospel and back to the Gospel and back to the Gospel. And all through chapter 1 of 2 Peter, he points us back to the Gospel. He says, remember the provision, the power, and the promises of the Gospel. And then he says... Watch out for these false teachers. and if you think this was tough, verses one through three, it only gets heavier as we continue through chapter two. Lord, have mercy on me as I preach these words. But Peter, he wants some negative reinforcement. He wants to encourage us to live for Christ with some negative reinforcement. He says, "Beware of these false teachers. Beware, be careful. He says, false teachers, number one, false teachers hide in plain sight. They are among you, and they're secretly introducing their destructive heresies. Number two, false teachers, they deny Christ's authority. They deny the one they claim that actually bought them. And number three, false teachers exploit the church. They take advantage of Christ's church for personal gain. So, how do we apply this to our lives? That's the question. How do we apply this to our lives, both individually? Incorporately here at Harmony Bible Church? Well, number one, we don't hide our beliefs. We don't hide the Gospel. Instead of hiding or secretly introducing heresy, instead we proclaim the true Gospel. And that's the way Peter wants us to live. He wants us to proclaim the true Gospel. We preach it to ourselves. We get up in the morning and preach the Gospel to yourself. You go to your neighbors and you preach it to your neighbors. You love them. You care for them. You show them the Gospel. You share with them the Gospel. And then you do the same thing with your brothers and sisters here at church. Call each other up and say, Irene, I've been praying for you today and I want you to know that I love you, I care for you, and I want you to remember the Gospel of Jesus Christ today. We need to do a better job. I need to do a better job at doing that. We don't hide our beliefs. Instead, we encourage each other in the gospel, and genuine biblical beliefs. And we we hold each other accountable to those truths. Number two, we don't deny Christ's authority. We submit to Christ's authority. We submit to Christ's authority as a church and as individuals. We say, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. For I'm merely a servant. And that's why I make a point to pray for Spruce Head Community Church nearly every Sunday. Because it's not about this kingdom. It's not about my kingdom. It's about Christ's kingdom. We're just servants. Do with us as you see fit, Lord. And do it for your glory. We submit to Christ's authority over our lives and we will live for Him and not for ourselves. And number three, we don't exploit the church but instead we love and serve the church. We remember that Christ gave Himself up for her, His bride. And if Christ loves the church, then we too should love the church and do all that we can to serve her, to be a blessing to her, to encourage her. And I pray that You do the same. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your Word. I thank You for these warnings that we have from Your Word regarding false teachers. God, I know that Your Word is clear and that we are to study to show Thyselves approved. And I pray that we would be serious about doing that. God, that we would not let our doctrine flow from our behavior, but instead our behavior flow out of our doctrine. That we would recognize that the way we live should be shaped by your word and by the things you have taught us. God, I pray for these people, pray for myself. God, that we would live in a way that brings glory to you, that as, as we've heard Paul instruct the Ephesians and others to live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, be with us now as we seek to do so, worshiping you in spirit. And in truth, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Pauley, pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.